Hello, thanks for listening. This is, whatever way you look at it, episode three. My name is Sanjeev Shetty. And my name is Adam Smith. And both of us are doing podcasts about multiple sclerosis, a word that is really hard to say. No matter how bad your disease is, it's just not easy to say that word. Anyway, so as you may know, or maybe you don't know, both of us do podcasts about MS. In my case, I have a co-host called Raf Clays, who, for other reasons, can't be present for this episode. Your son as well, isn't he? Is I didn't right? want to say that, but yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, thought, but you've said that in other episodes. Yeah, you? I, I'm, that I'm, isn't I'm, just like a big reveal that I've done there, is it? Yeah, it's not like a lot of juicy, is it? <laughs> no. Uh, no, he is my son. And, 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 the, and, <laughs> and the reasons... Or reason why he can't make this podcast is that thing called school. Oh, right. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, well, my podcast is My Journey with MS, which I record on my own. Not least of all because I don't have a son and my dog can't talk. So uh, I just do it with, with, with me. Um, but we decided to, somewhat appropriately in the week of Avengers, they thought they had the best crossover. Uh, we thought we'd uh, we'd take them to the cleaners and do the best crossover episode. I saw what you did there. <laughs> I mean, I thought, I thought, I thought, how's he going to get Ed game? Ed game in this bit? <laughs> no, okay. don't worry, I can uh, jam uh, it in, yeah. however. Uh, uh, so this is going to be uh, a collaboration. Maybe it might be the first of many, or maybe it might be the only one. <laughs> yeah. um, but as I've had it for a lot longer than you've had it, mm-hmm. I thought I'd ask you the first question. And this is simply going through all the things that we've talked about over the phone... But can you tell me about what made you think there might be something not quite right with you? Yeah, um, it was. So the journey for me was a bit of a whirlwind, really, because certainly from what I understand now, you know, looking back on things, I believe the journey to diagnosis for most people takes place over over a a long period that, that that. Doctors tend not to jump to a diagnosis because it can be numerous different things, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but for me, I I felt one day I woke up and felt as though I was uh, almost like I'd been on a on a boat. You know, when you get off a boat and you haven't got your, your your land legs back and you're still a bit wobbly from side to side. So I felt pretty much constantly like I was on a boat, and then. I uh, that developed into I was waking up in the mornings and it felt like the room was spinning around my head uh, and and it was a sensation very similar to one I'd had many years ago when I had an inner ear infection so I went to the doctors and was like look I've, I think I've got an inner ear infection I want to nip it in the bud blah blah this is all I would say June July of 2018 and I was saying I want to nip it in the bud because I'm meant to be getting married in September and I wanted to basically feel back to normal for for my wedding, um, and he checked my ears, said no, it's not an inner ear, inf- ear, it's not an inner ear infection. Try taking this thing called Beconase, which is like a nasal spray. He said use this Beconase and uh, see if that'll you know kind of deal with the problem. So I did took Beconase for a while and nothing really changed. But I also was going on my stag do. So this is July. Um, and so I went on my stag do and one of my, well, my, my best man had arranged to play five-a-side football. So I went and played five-a-side and during the five-a-side football, as it was sort of towards the end of it, I was getting double vision. Um, 
and and I couldn't quite figure out what was going on, but I was having to basically close one eye to to play the football and stuff. So I kind of you know went back to the doctor afterwards and said, look, this has also happened. You know, any idea why that might be? It seems to be when I'm doing anything that's kind of high cardiovascular. Any clues why? And he said no, but he said I'll send you for a CAT scan. The CAT scan came back clear. And he said, I think it's got to the stage where you're going to, going to need to see a neurologist to find out what's going on. And at this point, had anyone told you anything that it could be? No. I, I mean, I'd done my own Googling and in amongst all that, MS came up as a possible thing. But of course, I just dismissed it because, you know, when you Google that you've got a runny nose, it's cancer or something. So I was like, well, I'm just not going to pay any attention to, to what it says online, really. Um, and... So the doctor said, you'll need to see a neurologist. Um, but there was like a six-month wait or whatever to see one on the NHS. And again, getting married, I thought, I want this to be sorted. So I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm maybe I'll have to go private. So I, I found out how much it would cost to go private, which was basically my savings. Um, and I thought, I, I don't really have a choice because, I, you know, the doctor's saying I need to see a neurologist. I don't think it's going to be sorted until I do see a neurologist what else can I do so I paid to go private the neurologist I saw said uh, it's migraines said you've got you've got uh, visual migraines Uh, if you give up caffeine you'll be fine so I gave up caffeine and I don't drink a lot of caffeine Sanjay I'll be honest I have well used to have a cup of tea a day maybe two cups if I was feeling frisky an occasional kind of Coke, something like that. You know, like not not a lot of caffeine, Fat really. Coke or diet. Fat Coke, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. None of that diet nonsense. Um, and I, so I thought, you know, how how hard is it going to be to give up caffeine? The answer is really hard, <laughs> really, really hard to give up caffeine. I, I had horrendous migraines, like actual migraines, not what the doctor thought were like visual migraines or whatever it was. Um, it was it was really really awful, and when we uh, so he'd also said I'll send you for an MRI, um, which really did use up the last of my savings, um, and I said okay, um, went for the MRI, and he said well come in. So let's say that I had the meeting with him on the Tuesday, the MRI on the Wednesday. He said come back in next Tuesday to find out what the results are. So I went along next the, the following Tuesday, and. Uh, my partner and I, Rachel, we were sat outside his office and we were kind of saying, you know, well, we need to ask how long I've got to be off the caffeine for. Can I introduce it ever again? Or will all of these symptoms come back? All of that kind of thing. And he called us into his office. We sat down and he said, yeah, I've just been chatting to the guy who did the scans. You've got multiple sclerosis. That was, you know, ripping off a plaster and, uh, no, you know, no no kind of bedside manner, no nothing, just you've got multiple sclerosis. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I have just, uh, yesterday I wrote a piece about my MS uh, for the MS research charity and they want to put this piece up on their website. And one of the things I talked about was the way I was diagnosed. And I had a much longer build-up than you, but I didn't have a clue where any of this was going. I had lots of separate symptoms. But the, the the when I was told was very very similar to when where how you were told. So I was in a room, and um, I uh, had been told that I might have had strokes um, because quite often what was happening that one side of my face would cave in. Right. It would come back to normal within you know, minutes. Um, 
So when I went in to see the neurologist, the, the neurologist um, he said, the good news is you've not been having strokes. I went, oh, that's a relief. The bad news is you've got MS. Uh, and I said, that's life-threatening, isn't it? And he said, not really. He said, I can tell you lots of things, but the best thing to do is look on the internet. By the way, this was in 2004, when right. the internet was not nearly as big as it is now. You'll find stuff up on, on there. And the nurse who was sitting next to him said, just scoffed at him as if to say, my God, you're a buffoon, and then got me out of the room. Um, so if we're going to try and change anything about MS, um, Adam, I think one of the things is, from our shared experiences, we've both had doctors who perhaps haven't known the human way to deal with telling you that you've got something that's going to change the rest of your life. Yes, yeah. And I, I think that the one good thing I would say is that the guy didn't... Uh, he didn't do it as... He did do it as badly as that, but he didn't sort of say, go and find out about it on your own. You know, he said... He said, "Look, because I was quite upset, visually upset." And he said, "You know, no, oh no, don't be upset. You know, it's 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 okay. Like it's not it's not life threatening. It's not as bad as you might think, and and all of that sort of stuff." So he he did try to alleviate me a little bit. And look, you know, my friend Andy's a GP, and maybe if he was here, he would say, you know, well, the best way of dealing with bad news is just to give it rather than to, you know, sort of pander around it a little bit. Um, but certainly, it was a real whack diagnosis because it, it it came out of the blue because he'd said it was he didn't say the previous week you know i think it's migraines but we better check a few other things he said it's migraines this is what you need to do we'll do an mri to confirm um so it wasn't that vicious if you see what i mean but at the same time it really was not and and english wasn't his first language so it was a little tricky to understand exactly what he was saying to me but he said to me you know look at one of my friends is a specialist in ms you should go and see him you know if you see him privately you can essentially skip the queue to see him on the nhs if you see him privately for one session uh, which is what i did i had the this private appointment with him and he uh, confirmed the diagnosis basically and and he he showed he talked me through the mri scan and pointed out the various lesions and all that sort of thing and 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 explained it to me as best he could and then said you know yeah i'll see you on the nhs uh, meanwhile just for the just for completion of all this i went back to my gp uh, for for a different reason you know a while later and he was like oh, how did you get on and i said oh you know it's it, it's ms and he said, oh, yeah, I thought it might be. And maybe I should have given you an MRI originally instead of the CAT scan. But, you know, these things happen. And I was like, yeah, huh? <laughs> tell my bank account these things happen because that's my savings you've wiped out with these things happen. Um, but, you know, that's life, isn't it, I suppose? So so just to give a, a, a broader outline of this. So I've had it now for... Well, I reckon I've had it for over 20 years, but I was diagnosed in 2004. You say you were diagnosed last year. Mm -hmm. um, in the 12 months since, how's your MS been? So the mad thing for me is that nothing's really changed. So the only thing that's definitively changed is the double vision that I had briefly when I was on the stag do or, or any time I did any kind of cardiovascular exercise. Mm -hmm. That has now become permanent. So I've got I've got essentially permanent double vision. Um, is there one eye that's significantly worse? Well, so they I've got this is rubbish for a podcast, but you can see I've got the little um, 
lens on my glasses right. that's basically like a venetian blind to correct my vision and push the push right. the vision back in line right. and they put it over my right eye and they've said to have it over my right eye right. Uh, what they've said at this stage is that they would not be willing to do an operation on me at this stage because we're still within the period whereby my vision could just correct itself so they don't want to do a an operation and make it worse um so that that that's the only thing that's that's got you know definitively worse in terms of everything else i have so i would say that i've had fatigue for example but then you read somebody else's you know blog about fatigue and i think well i haven't had that you know where they sort of said that it feels like you're walking through treacle and you know all that kind of thing in fact i think there is a blog walking through treacle um and i so i'm like well have i had have I had that then? Have I had fatigue? Or is it is it just that I'm just a bit tired? You know, like I don't, I don't quite... It's a, it's a difficult one to say definitively, I've had this, I've had that. But what I can say definitely, the two problems that I have are the double vision that is corrected with glasses with a specialist lens on, but it's corrected in a weird way. So if I were to look at a piece of A4 paper, it would basically be slightly narrower at the bottom than it would at the top. So the world is slightly distorted for me, even with the... So I've got single vision, but it's distorted single vision. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, the balance problems that I have, and they're made worse by the vision as well, because they what the um, uh, specialist has said to me is that the your balance, you use your eyes, your, your hearing, your the system within the ears, and your touch are the main things that influence things. So the fact that I can't see properly is is stopping me from having particularly good balance as well. Now, the flip side of that is I didn't realise I had balance problems until I went and got diagnosed because I don't stand on one leg very often. So I just didn't realise that that was a thing. Now, the, the, the physiotherapist said to me, you do actually stand on one leg when you're walking, you stand yeah. on one leg. Yeah. But, it, you know, but, but not for long enough periods of time to realise that I've got it. Whereas now, if I stand on one leg, I just fall over. So, you know, um, so it, it's, it's, an, it's, it's an interesting thing for me because my MS basically hasn't changed since I was diagnosed. So I know that I've got loads of other things to look forward to, <laughs> I suppose, you know. I mean, so I would say from my experience that in the uh, initial aftermath of being diagnosed, I certainly noticed things got more difficult for a, for a period of about a year. Um, and this was in 2004. So by about the middle of 2005, I started to go back to normal. And what perhaps prompted me to be better I don't think I actually had that much choice was I decided to do the London Marathon which is not something I ever thought I was ever going to do but I thought I'm going to have to try doing these things that yeah. I don't think I'll be able to do in a few years time and that seemed to be a, like a reboot for me so I mean not the actual doing the day that was horrendous I'm not going to talk <laughs> about that ever again uh, but certainly once I'd recovered I started thinking that I was back to normal and much like you have just said about the conversations you've had with your doctor i started to have the double vision or what it's i call it more simply i just lost the vision complete vision in my left eye right um and that was in uh, the early stages of 2012 and everything since then has just been a 
downward spiral right so that my balance has gone uh the walking in treacle that's there but i had 10 good years before that <laughs> yeah so uh i don't uh i don't i don't think about it too much because it's just there i think it's like i was listening to a, a podcast on the way here uh where a footballer was discussing what it's like to have a serious injury midway through your career and how you have to start thinking about everything that you do not to put say for instance he had a knee injury and he tried not to put too much weight on that knee or he would start trying to hit a football in a different way that's kind of like ms for me now is that i know now the of the 500 things that i would like to do in a day there's 250 of them that now just gone yeah and now everything i'm doing is trying to compensate for those 250 things that i can't do that's how i look at my ms now I think that what I am struggling with at the moment the most, I think, is the mental health side of, of coping with that, basically. Like, I think the the theory of, you know, you just adapt and you just get used to it and you just whatever, I get that and, and, and I sort of understand the principle of that. The reality of it in play is it's very difficult not to think why did I get this? Why have I why have I got this? Why can't I do these things? All of that sort of stuff, if you see what I mean. I think that's where uh, like well for example, yesterday I had a real awakening about my limitations, I guess, because I uh bank holiday weekend, my friends from uh, where I grew up on here on the Wirral um, we're all home for the for the Easter weekend, and I'd seen them a couple of times over the Easter uh, weekend. And they said, you know, do you want to go and play uh, miniature golf down the down the front in New Brighton? They've got a really good miniature golf course. Um, so I, I I was like, yeah, yeah, great, you know, I do. And I used to be quite good at that, I, and I'm not Tiger Woods, but I, you know, I used to regularly, you know, if not win, then at least yeah. compete at the top end. And I and I didn't at all this time because I couldn't get. I couldn't get anywhere near seeing where the ball was, basically, or or being able to stand there long enough to be able to take a putt convincingly and things like that. Um, and then I came home and I tried to work in the afternoon and fell asleep because I was I was knackered and I I hadn't I'd had a lot of sleep I hadn't had an early uh, wake up or any of that sort of thing but I fell asleep because I was so tired. And then went for a walk with with uh, Rachel, who's now my wife, just to complete the uh, wedding tale. Uh, we did get married, listeners. Um, it we, must be love then. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, we took the dogs for a walk, just got a new puppy, and we took them for a walk. And, you know, she was sort of saying, oh, do you want to try and do a little bit of recall with the puppy? And to do that, you know, to get a, a, a puppy back to you who doesn't really know their name or any of that, the best way to do it is to be excitable and exciting and throw your arms in the air and all that. And and I was like, I can't. I just can't. I, I just physically didn't feel, both physically and emotionally, didn't feel like I was in the right frame of mind to do it. So it got to kind of yesterday evening and, and, I, and I was a bit upset. And, I, I, you know, because I was just sort of thinking, this is the stark reality now of my new existence shown to me in in everything that it is um and that that i think is the thing that i'm struggling with the most adapting to at the moment i don't know how you've coped you know how you've found that over the years well i think that um again as i've written in these pieces that because i wrote one piece for 
uh, MS Theosophy Society UK and for this research charity. Um, my life's been a ro- roller coaster. It was a roller coaster before I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And the roller coaster just said, you can get off now, but now you have to get on. <laughs> yeah. uh, so when I was diagnosed, I had a three month old son. A year later, uh, a year and a bit later, I had two uh, quite young children. Um, I've always. As in two more? or No, that's right. Two, <laughs> exactly. I had two, I had two. I've got right, two okay. boys. I've got two boys. Uh, and I think most people with children would, will say that um, boys are great, um, but they're very demanding mm. uh, in the early years. Uh, and then once they get to about 13 or 14, they pretty much look after themselves. Um, so that, that narrative of my life never changed. They were always demanding and I was always a hands-on dad. Um, I've worked at the BBC for 21 years now, um, of which, of which 15 years have been diagnosed with MS. Uh, and the job I do is, uh, sports news, which is a demanding job. It changes every hour. Uh, I've written four books. Um, I've lectured at university. So it's always been demanding. Mm. And I think I've welcomed that that change of pace every now and then only to go higher rather than it to, to, to downsize the pace. Um, because I think I, I always think of, of life, as you say that you're trying to get used to the knowledge that you can't do things. Well, I know that I can't do things the way I used to be able to do them. Uh, and I'm just thinking I'm going to try and do everything I can still do, get away with them for as long as I can until someone finally says to me, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think, I think the word for it is stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> I think of, I think of my mum used to say to me years ago, God, you're stubborn. My wife says to me, God, you're stubborn. And I said to her, well, you, you should know you're the queen of it. <laughs> um, and I think it, you know, it comes from being maybe as well, the, the child of two Im- immigrants, so, right. uh, essential pigheadedness and mm. you know, a refusal to uh, accept your limitations. And I know what they are. I know there's huge limitations in my life. Like you're saying about golf. I loved playing golf for years. I can't play golf now. Mm. Five years ago, I hit my last ball. And after watching Tiger Woods the other week, I was thinking, oh, the most natural thing now would be to just go out and <laughs> shoot 18. I can't do it. Yeah. Or, or the nearest I can get to, to shoot 18 is on the PlayStation. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's upsetting, but only momentarily. So I will say I have dark moments, but I don't have dark days. Uh, and I think that's perhaps the best I can hope for. Um, I think we've been talking for quite a while. Uh, I can tell you we've been talking for 22 minutes. Which I think is pretty much the, the ideal <laughs> length for a podcast. But what I would say is, because this is MS Awareness Week, so I'm going to ask you, and you can ask me, the one thing that you want to change about the way that, that MS is treated, uh, in terms of a wider thing, not you could say anything, the government, medicine, or the general public. I think the... I, I, the most obvious answer I can come up with is for it to be. I don't know how to phrase this. I'm going to phrase it probably quite poorly, and then I'll try and explain myself. But for it to be treated with more respect, and what I mean by that is that the MS for people who have it, however they choose to cope with it, and however they manage to cope with it. It can be a ridiculously challenging illness. 
and the reason why and you know and as i've said on my own podcast a number of times i'm not a doctor i cannot speak with any level of um definitiveness about this but but from my understanding of it it is a disease that attacks the 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 nervous system basically the central nervous system and that means that pretty much anything to do with your nervous system can happen at any given moment and you may not get a warning that it's going to happen it may just happen out of the blue and that is scary that is difficult to deal with that is frightening the fact that you know in theory i could wake up tomorrow morning and not be able to use my legs that that's that's a really terrifying thing and it yet yeah, i think ms is treated a little bit i think because of the wide ranging symptoms because it's so huge the the various things that can happen from one person to the next and you and i have experienced different things we both have vision problems but you lost the vision in one eye and i'm getting double i basically got your vision so I got, I, got, I got double and you got none. Um, but it, so like that sort of thing is, it, it means that it's very difficult to talk about it in the same way that it is to talk about cancer, in the same way that it is to talk about Alzheimer's or, you know, whichever thing you want to choose. People get those things more because they, they just sort of understand what it means, even though cancer can be a wide ranging thing that, you know, that can have loads of different places but that we associate it with life or death exactly yeah. yeah whereas ms and because ms is not life-threatening you know it, it they say that on average it can take five to ten years off your life compared to if you didn't have ms but it is not a life-threatening illness and because we're blokes we're not looking forward to a great deal of life are we? <laughs> no well um so i think because of because of that kind of unawareness of of maybe how to talk about it it doesn't get anywhere near the attention that it should get and that I think is what I would want to change because the 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 best way to summarize it and the way I think would make people sit up and take notice more is this idea that anything in your body to do with your central nervous system can stop working how it's supposed to at any given moment you won't see it coming and you won't know whether it'll fix itself that's pretty terrifying and yet MS is just sort of like oh it's one of them and I think a lot of people kind of think it's maybe ME you know, like you know like which is ju- just as serious a thing in its own right but because they both begin with M I think people just kind of swirl them all together it's it's amazing isn't it the amount of times that you tell people I've got MS and they look at you and think is it that ME one or is it and then they can't quite work it out in their head so I'm with you on the, actually I was saying the other day that there's two things that I want uh, you've taken one of them so uh, <laughs> I want respect but I also want patience mm. um, because I now noticeably do everything a lot slower um, I talk slower <laughs> I walk slower uh, I work slower and that's all I want is for people to understand that because I've got MS things are just going to take me a lot longer mm. I'm probably going to do them but it just everything just takes a lot longer uh, so I'll go with you on the respect and the patience. And the other thing, I think um, I'm not here for a party political broadcast. Uh, I don't think anyone wants to hear whether I voted that or this. Uh, is that people have to take notice of the fact that there are more and more people getting diagnosed with MS. Um, I think a lot of it is because of lifestyle. Uh, we're working harder now than we used to. Uh, and we're exposed to more things. And I just hope that more and more research is done into finding out what the cause of MS is. Because we all know what it gives you. Mm. No one knows how it starts. 
Mm. Adam Smith, bit of pleasure. Uh, likewise, yeah. Thanks very much. Um, that is the end of the third episode of both of our podcasts. Bye bye.